Once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C-Squared. Then I jumped on the bandwagon. I'm your host, Aaliyah, and this is Heavy Business, a podcast where we talk to music industry professionals and musicians and learn together about the music industry, marketing, and other tools that can help you promote the music you put so much effort into creating. Hello and welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'm Aaliyah. And I'm Curtis. And we're about to talk some heavy business. And today on our podcast, we have the exemplary map of Cryptopsy and Vox and Hops. So first, before we dive in, thank you, Matt, for coming on our podcast. I love it. I'm super stoked to be here, Leah Curtis. Um, we're going to talk about metal. We're going to talk about business. I'm going to make you talk about craft beer. Surprise, surprise. Um, yeah, let, let's just dig straight in. Do you have a craft beer for us today? I don't. I don't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm living uh, a better lifestyle is, is, is a, a motto that I'm a mindset that I'm trying to impose upon myself. So tonight is a, a Tuesday that we're recording this, and I don't drink on Tuesdays. I only have specific days that I enjoy craft beers now. But I do have something very cool, obviously, because I do like to promote stuff and very cool things. I am drinking a tea, which is Cryptopsy's tea. It's a collab that I helped create with uh, Pitch Black North. They're the satanic tea company out of Alberta. Yeah, uh, we this love them. Came, they're, they're the best. Dominic is <clears throat> OG. Love that guy. Um, this came out last year, but I still had a bag steeping around. <laughs> um, it's uh, got hops in it. It's got lavender. It's got black tea. It's called None So Vile. We also made a beer with New Level Brewing at the same time as this. And the tea was in the beer. The hops are in the tea. Very cool collab. Cheers. Excellent. Um, Curtis, do you want to start with the first question? Sure. Uh, so for those people that are, have been living under a rock and don't know who you are, could you please give a little bit of a background of who you are and what you do? Because I know it's broad, but if you can kind of give the nutshell version of it. Absolutely. I'm Matt McGacky, the vocalist of uh, Legendary death metal band and i can say that because they put out a legendary album before i was in the band which is okay i've been in the band since 2007 cryptopsy has been releasing music since 1991 maybe a little bit before that it's to be debated uh, i was in the band since 2007 i've released a bunch of material with them i've toured the globe i've played a bunch of amazing festivals such as vakin um summer breeze i've played um a bunch of them, whatever, Hellfest a few times. I've toured the world. I then started my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I hang out with fellow metal musicians, talk about their lives and music while sharing craft beer, a huge passion of my of mine. I'm approaching upon 400 episodes. I'll hit that landmark probably in March of 2023. And uh, that's the little nutshell of who I am. And you've also written a couple of kids books, to my understanding, as well. I have helped collaborate on writing children's novels throughout the pandemic with my wife uh, because I am a full-time early childhood educator. So so when I'm not screaming for Cryptopsy or having conversations with fellow musicians for Vox and Hops, I work as a full-time early childhood educator, um, 40 hours a week, hanging out with other people's kids. Uh, typically three to four, five-year-olds is my age group that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis. That is quite the accomplishments you got there no thank you <laughs> you're welcome okay I'll, I'll let you i'll let you take control because i'm going to start asking about his day job here if, if we uh <laughs> need to do the questioning all right well so 
I wanted to talk a little bit about the podcast first. So what kind of led to the decision to start a podcast? I was on a sabbatical uh, back in 2017 from my job, staying home with my daughter. She was one year old at the time. We did not watch much television at that point um, with our children, basically nothing. And uh, just like now, in the winter months, the days are very short and it gets very cold around you know, 4.30, my wife would come home around 6, 7. So I had like these long hours in the house and I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? We would play. I'd listen to like every album that I ever wanted to listen to and re-listen to, which is basically how I fell back in love with new metal. That's a side note because I am a news metal child. And throughout that year, I re-explored every CD I ever listened to. Uh, so I listened to everything and I was like, ah, podcasts. I had been a guest on the Jazz to Show me and Flo, my drummer, were a guest on the Jasta show. So I was like, let's check out this podcast. What is this thing that I did? Listen to it, listen to a bunch of episodes, thought it was super interesting, started listening to um, Doc Coyle, the X-Man with Doc Coyle. I then got into Mark Marin's podcast, and I just started listening voraciously to podcasts. Went out to dinner with my wife, and we came up with this idea. Let's build a podcast. I needed something for myself, I needed something outside of Cryptopsy because at the time that this was all happening in Cryptopsy, um, Ollie had been asked to join Cattle Decapitation. And I was like, go do it. They're they're so fucking cool. They're so hype. Can I swear? I'm sorry. You yes? can swear. It's fine. Perfect. Yes. Okay. Uh, they're so fucking cool. So, so go do it. Uh, I can't. We can't not let you do that. Chris has his studio, which is just always busy. And he's got that rolling 100%. And then Flo came to a band practice and he was like, we found the singer for my new project. It's David Vincent. So I was like, oh, shit, all my band members are going to be super fucking busy and I'm going to be, you know, wanting to do something on my own. So hence the podcast started. Uh, I'm sort of an introvert and it sort of has really helped me open up and, and feel comfortable speaking with strangers. It's something that's really brought me a lot of benefits socially. Absolutely. And then the amount of like connections that I've made and connections that I've kept with people that I've known uh, is just unbelievable. So, so Vox and Hop started in 2018. I launched uh, in October. I had 10 episodes under my belt when I launched and then I just kept rolling since then. So I kind of want to follow this up kind of on a slight tangent, but not on a total tangent yet. Um, so what was kind of like the actual mission that you were looking to accomplish with the podcast if you actually had one? Uh, it was really just to stay connected with the industry, to um, feel like I was still uh, a part of it, even if Cryptopsy hypothetically was put on ice, because it really wasn't at the time, but I was like foreseeing in the future that this might be something that happened. Uh, so I really wanted to stay connected. I wanted to stay close to my friends that I made friends touring. It's it's an amazing thing as a musician when you when you make friends touring you don't see each other for huge gaps. And then you see them like intensely, intensely in very close proximity, um, lots of partying going on and like intense friendships are formed. And then like, we don't see each other for months. So yeah. so to not have that experience anymore um, was something that was not terrifying, but was was something I was apprehensive of not having anymore. And then sure. just the 
there's a bunch of other crazy things that have happened because of the podcast, but that came just naturally, such as like the forming of a community around the podcast, yeah. like-minded individuals that like the podcast, yeah. that like metal and craft beer. Obviously, I knew that those two things were working hand in hand because I am such an avid craft beer enthusiast and a metalhead, and I would see the similarities there. It's, it's uh, yeah, the podcast has brought me lots of amazing things. Cool. Uh, one other follow-up I just wanted to do on that is uh, how difficult did you find it to actually start it? I mean, you're you're fairly well-known already, so I'm sure it wasn't too hard to get guests, obviously, but how difficult did you find it to actually get up and running and getting it going? I am very lucky to have my wife, who's a very big part of the podcast. She's the producer of the podcast. Uh, shout out to Jessica Buckingham, uh, who also wrote those books uh, that we were talking about earlier. Uh, she really is a project manager. She That was her, her background. So she worked with me to set goals, to get it going, to move forward. I remember booking my first guest, which was Danny Marino of The Agonist, very good friend of mine. And I'm sitting in his house and we have the beers and I have my machine. I like figured out how I'm going to record this, how I can do it like out in the world, because that was the purpose of the podcast in the past was to do it backstage, do it in bars, do it in buses, being there with the artist. So I went to his house, first one, and I was so nervous sitting there. And he goes, dude, you've played Vakken, relax. And then That's we had awesome. a great, and then we had a great chat. So yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, but it was super easy. My first hundred guests were my friends. Did you feel uncomfortable at all other than that initial first thing that you said where, where he said that to you? There's definitely moments and it took some time to, I guess, find my voice as mm -hmm. an interviewer as opposed to being the interviewee. But I've done a lot of really bad interviews, like like on the interviewee side. I've, I've dealt with horrible, <laughs> and I'm not going to name them, but there was definitely this Obviously. young children in Mexico City that, that had no idea who we were, but definitely wanted to have an interview with us. And they did the interview, and it was, I, it's an, you know, interviews like that, motivated me to do better interviews it was an, i guess that was another reason why i wanted to do box and hops too was to ask new questions and and create fun uh interview segments for the guests that i'm having on something different some people they're so refreshed they're like they finish sometimes and they're like oh my god that was actually a lot of fun as opposed to, i'm like and i feel bad for them i'm like well how many did you do that wasn't fun <laughs> i am letting them drink which which helps right but oh, for sure I mean, you you are in a bit of a unique position because you have been interviewed pro like probably hundreds, if not thousands of times already. And you kind of have a good idea of what what is a good interview question, I would imagine, by this point in time or even before starting the podcast. So how did you kind of like prep yourself in advance? Because I again, I know you said, you know, these people already. But how did you what did you do to kind of prep yourself so you weren't asking those dumb questions that you or the questions that you felt were dumb that everyone was else was asking well i definitely like structured everything out yeah and i did that at first and i really wrote out structured questions to to guide a conversation and that's something i did for the first probably the first 15 to 20 episodes and then i just sort of went through this different tactic when I would find something that someone really likes. Mm. And then I remember, and I remember there was like an aha moment and it was with Gabe, Gabe Mangold of uh, Enterprise Earth. We were uh, having a chat at a bar here in Montreal and I like ran through my standard questions and I was like, oh shit, that's like, we're like 15 minutes. I want to go at least 
30 to 45. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, Oh, let's, I saw pictures of, uh, you know, your van, you, you, you have, you've totally souped up your van to be like a living quarters van. And it turns out that he actually lives in a tiny house and he built a tiny house in this mm -hmm. van. And it's like a huge passion of his. So that was like an aha moment. I was like, I need to find this about everyone and let them talk about what they want to talk about. And that was, that was a big moment and something that I've built upon, um, since since that moment which was i think it was like episode i don't remember episode 30 or between 30 and 50. nice i'll let Aliyah ask the next question because i have too many follow-ups here i'm sorry <laughs> no this is i mean letting the conversation flow organically mm -hmm. and curtis is always apologizing for this and it's okay because i'm a blabber um, mouth i'm sorry nothing to apologize for um what about uh roadblocks did you encounter any roadblocks when you were first starting the podcast and how did you overcome them i guess like being a musician and hearing the word no so many times about so many things, it, it didn't phase me as much. And, it, and things were moving so quickly that if I would hear a no, I would just move on to the next thing. And it's just sort of something that just kept happening. Um, I just kept moving. And, and I've had like mottos throughout the podcast. And, and at first it was like baby steps towards greatness. So it's like, let's just keep doing this. Let's just, figure out the best way to do this. If there's a mistake, it doesn't matter. We're going to move on and keep going. So, so roadblocks, no, I was really, really lucky that I had a lot of very cool people that either made introductions for me or knew me because we had toured together. Uh, it was, it was really easy to, to get a lot of people on the podcast, like tour packages before the pandemic would come through and I would book every band and I would take them one by one. Holy crap to uh, the bar because i had this bar the same buck i'll give them a shout out they would give me free beer uh, if i would do interviews there so i would oh. walk artists back and forth and i would do i would never see a show obviously but i would hang out with four artists let's say a night from like load in till the end of the show going in reverse of of who was playing you know what i mean like the headliner oh. first and then working my way backwards so so no 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 it was yeah it, it was just I was not going to stop. And that was the motto of year two was like, don't stop, keep going because it was working. So I, I just kept pushing, pushing through. And then the pandemic hit and that made things have to change, which is when we started doing things such as this, me sitting in this chair instead of being backstage somewhere. So this opened up the door to speaking to anyone, which was, uh, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, people were at home and people had nowhere to go. Yeah. And you could talk to anyone at any point in time. It was, it was, crazy i was doing three episodes a week for i think four months throughout the pandemic it was crazy and then i just scaled it back down to one or two a week do you like it better via zoom is that way you don't have to go out or do you really prefer doing the in-person thing i just started redoing in person this september there is a certain beauty to that walk that i was talking about because i still walk them to a bar Mm -hmm. And like you meet someone and now I'm now I'm getting pitched publicist, right? So I'm a, pub, a publicist hits me up. Do you want to talk to this person? I say, I want to do it face to face in Montreal, let's say. Mm -hmm. So I, I I knew Dave from a revocation. Let's say this is an example. Mm -hmm. um, he was my first face to face back. I, I knew him in passing. We had met a few times. We weren't friends, let's say. Uh, I picked him up and we walked together and we got to shoot the shit. So that's cool. Like that's like breaking the ice before you even start asking interview questions. And you sit down in a bar together, are you ready? I'm ready, you smash out an interview. 
deep connection. You get an instantly deep connection, but it takes much longer because I have to go there, sit there, wait for them to be ready, as opposed to one of these situations. Um, it's in and out and I'm back with my family. It's it's so there's there's ups and downs of each of them. I feel like face to face, the conversation is a little better, but I absolutely feel more in control here because I've just done so many of them here. Fair enough. Um, and then how structured, do you, like you said, you don't, you, you try to find something that they like as your thing. So does that mean like the structure is kind of gone or do you still kind of have notes and you have an idea of where you want to go or? No, I, I'm it? definitely super structured. Okay. Uh, once I came back to being inside here, I started taking notes again and planning out my conversations, especially as I was getting pitched from publicists a lot more. So I had to touch on the album, let's say, so I would like build up to that and talk about and then move around and see what people are interested in by lurking on their social media, let's say, is an easy way to do that. Yep. Um, but I, uh, I'm i extremely structured and I know what I want to hit. Cool. And it's just a fine way of guiding the conversation through that while being open to taking detours, especially if it's something that interests someone very much. So this is kind of random. And again, I'm going to shoot it backward early again in a minute, I swear. Uh, how critical are you nowadays when you yourself interviewed like how like you're probably like listening to us right now and probably critiquing in your head I, you're not okay I figured you were but how kind of critical are you when you're being interviewed now like obviously you're not going to do it to their face but when you're thinking about <laughs> it when after the interview I, I've really been lucky I've jumped on well I do my homework is, is really what it is yeah. I don't say yes to everyone. Fair, fair. <laughs> so I put fair. myself on the platform that I want to be on now, which is a cool. really cool thing about the future of, of, of you know, promoting yourself. Mm -hmm. You can choose who you want to do the work with, sure. especially for me with Vox and Hops. We'll see, like, when Cryptopsy's new album cycle comes out. I have, I'm assuming that I'm going to get pitched a lot of stuff that I'm not going to be able to say no to. Yeah. So that will be a different experience. But I'm not, I haven't not done that yet, so... I imagine those ones, there won't be people that are as well prepared as the people that I've hung out with throughout the past three years. I would imagine so, yeah. Um, <laughs> Aliyah, are we okay to switch subjects for a brief? Yeah, I was just going to say, we we can... Did you have an idea of where you want to go next? I, I do, because he's talking about himself now, and let's talk about him him being the interview subject here. So, yeah, um, let's do that. So... Um, how do you think it's going to be different now uh, when Cryptopsy releases their next album after you've been doing all these interviews yourself being interviewed then? I think I'll just be warm and kind as usual and Fair. listen to people. And I, I really, you know what I really don't want to do? And I'm going to be honest. Mm. I don't want to answer interviews by writing them out anymore. I'm not going to do that. I don't know if I can say no to that, but it takes so long. Versus me just is like, going to go insane, but yeah, I get it. I get it. Versus me just sending them like an audio thing and it's like, just use some transcription thing. I don't know. Or maybe I need to get a transcription thing where I can just like talk out my things and send them back that way. Because it's just, when you write it out, you're hypercritical for some reason versus yeah. saying it out and, and, and get, expressing yourself. You can talk your way through your thoughts and get your point across that way. So so that will be a big change because I, I know it's so tedious. And, and yeah. I don't want to be rude if anyone still has these things, but who has these websites? And, <laughs> and you, who, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Who reads this? You'd <laughs> but, be surprised. <laughs> but I don't want to be rude. But uh, that would be the one thing. But and I know I'll be kind and warm. And, you know, if someone wants to talk about the new album, obviously I'll give them the time of day. But being 
um, having a podcast and having led so many interviews, if a conversation's not going where I want it to go, I'm going to take it over. That's probably the smartest move for sure. Um, so what would be your tips for people who did want to do an interview just in general, not necessarily you, but to a musician with a musician in general? You should definitely do some research. And and it doesn't have to be like hours and hours of deep dive research. It can be just a simple glance on their social media. First off, check them out on Instagram. People post on Instagram things that they love, things that they're proud of. So you're you're automatically going to get a passion. Sometimes even put it like in the header, you know, like... Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's, it's a description of who they are. So that's like when you want to talk to the person, you don't necessarily want to talk to the artist. And and if you talk to the person, you're going to get a genuine conversation. So so that's very important, that right there. Uh, you need to get your timeline of the band roughly in order. Yeah. You don't have to ask them that question. No one wants to answer that question of when they joined the band. But you as the interviewer has to have to understand the timeline of the band that will make the conversation flow better because you'll understand all the references if there are references coming out. And then you can come back with something um, cool to retort upon a comment that is made. Uh, Something else that I've been doing a lot recently, especially for people that I have no idea who they are, which happens sometimes, is I go and watch a bunch of other interviews that they've done. And then I, watching that interview, there's certain follow-up questions that the interviewer does not ask and i will say oh that you know let's expand upon that you know especially if it's about the album let's say we're talking about them promoting an album it's like they talk oh i heard that you spoke about this on and if it would be really cool if you would like um give a shout out to where you got the interview question from uh to to give props and you know to quote mm-hmm. the, the person <laughs> cite the, the the person that you're you're you know jumping piggybacking off of and then, which is what I did with Dave Davidson. I had a whole bunch of stuff like that from some Revolver video that he had done. And um, it just adds this extra complexity because artists are going to say the same thing. Uh, it, you, you get into a habit as a human of answering the same things of, of, of when you're asked the same questions. But if you can poke a little deeper and pull the onion layer back a little deeper, you can see deeper inside. So th- th- those would be my three, four tips right there. So... How do you get a uncommunicative person to talk? Because I don't know about you, but we've had the unfortunate occurrence of that happening every once in a while where, you know, they're friendly. They're not being hostile. They're just not a talker. It's like yes or no type. I'm sure you've had this. So what do you do? I've never had it, actually. You're lucky. I guess so. But I'm talking to my friends most of the time. But uh, I think it's the finding the passion. That's one of the moments. Everyone loves something. It could be anything. Another person I spoke to, um, damn it, uh, Charlie Marvel is his name, but his band name, I'm so sorry to the band if they're Visceral Discourse. He makes knives, and we spoke about knives for 35 minutes. You know what I mean? He like Damascus, right? That's that's the metal there, the one that's all shiny and weird looking. Yeah, he's a yes, no type of guy, but talking about knives. I'll talk about him for hours. So everyone has something that they love. And plus I make them drink. So, so true. <laughs> true. We're tasting stuff. We're, 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 we never, we're never drunk on Vox and Hops. It's really just a, a, a social lubricant. It's an icebreaker, the beer. It's, uh, you know, it's just to get someone to, we're sharing something. I get it. No, I get it. So Leah, I'm going to let you take over for a bit since I've been hogging it again. All good. All good information. Um, 
I wanted to ask about your, I guess, do you remember the first craft beer that you had? I remember a lot of them. And it was like a, a series of a bunch that like really was like epiphanies. Uh, one of the real first awakenings was when I moved to Montreal for the first time with Jessica back in 2009. Um, I would go to this grocery store and I would pick up a 12 pack. And I, I pick up a 12 pack because it was the cheapest thing. But it was also mostly more, more for the volume, you know, so I, I wanted 12 beers for cheapest price. It turned out that it was a craft beer brewery. Um, a macro craft beer called St. Ambroise McCoslin. And there was a, uh, I would pick up the 12 pack because I was, there was three apricot ales in it. So I'd be like, Jessica, I bought, I bought this for you. You know, I bought the 12 pack because you can only get the apricot ales at that. While great I trick. could still get great, great nine trick. beers for myself. But in that pack, there was also their pale ale, which was a hoppy beer. Uh, probably one of the first hoppy beers that I really experienced. And I was like, it was like soapy. It was weird. And, and I was like, do I like this? And then I really liked it. And then I went on tour with Cryptopsy. We were playing in Atlanta and we went to this little, at the Masquerade, the old Masquerade, this little under the train track, there's a grocery store there. And we picked up a Sierra Nevada pack and we picked up uh, a Blue Moon. And, and Donaldson, my guitarist, was like, uh, you should get the, we should get these because Lord Worm, craft beer, he, he loves beer. He knows his beer. He says this stuff is good. He used to drink this all the time. Sierra Nevada. It's it's you know it's a classic. So those two those two were really eye openers. And then the scene here in Montreal, Quebec, just got crazy. And it's just everyone and everyone's making craft beer. And it's at the grocery store now. And the variety, yeah. So there's, there was a bunch of them, but those two three were very important for me. Yeah, and then the kind of crossover between metal, the metal community and craft beer. I'm not sure when that started, but it's been around for a while now. Absolutely, but well, it's definitely Adam Tepetalin who was writing. Uh, Brutal, brutal truth, right? Is is the he wrote the book? Yeah, brutally, brutally speaking. Sorry, brutally speaking, and he would write the column in Decibel, and then he wrote the book about it. Uh, and then I think I sort of like I I was definitely not reading that, so I, I'm I just know the history of it, but I was not a part of it. <laughs> I discovered really like three Floyds and stuff when I was on tour with uh, Cannibal Corpse, and they came out to bring out Obituaries beer hopped in half. And I was like, oh, this is oh, so cool. Like, like a brewery can make like a beer for your band and the guys are metal. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And I started like digging more into it and finding it. Um, metal and beer fests were happening that Decibel was putting on. I've never been, but I was always, I was seeing and saying, that's so, so cool. Why doesn't Montreal have one of those? Why, why, why is this not happening? And then my two passions, metal and beer, I had to put them together into a podcast. So, and now I have my own metal and beer festival. So. I think it's cool too. Yeah, that's really cool. What were kind of the logistics behind um, putting together your own festival? I was extremely, I've been working with Heavy Montreal, which is Eventco. Eventco are Montreal's biggest promoter. They put on Oceaga, they put on Lasso, they put on all the huge, huge festivals and Heavy Montreal is a part of that. Um, so I was in communication and I've been working with them as Heavy Montreal presents Vox and Hops since 2020 i think august of 2020 and i've released uh i think 107 episodes that are heavy montreal presents episodes up till that from then uh we were hanging out uh with the agonist guys at kanawaki brewing and they were like we can we were like just shooting the shit it was like it was 2021 everyone was at home still all of the quebec bands were not touring i was like let's put together a show 
and we play together. We could finally play together because I can never play with the agonist because Kryptopsy and the agonist don't work together because we're too different. And if it's a metal and beer festival and I put other bands on the package that also make it weird and different, it works. So I made that pitch to J.F. Michaud, who is um, the guy that's been championing championing, championing Vox and Hops at Avenco um, throughout the whole experience of everything that's been happening. And uh, he, we did it. We put it together. There was an initial pitch and it worked. And the first um, Brutal Montreal was last December and it was a massive success. Uh, it was crazy. Cryptopsy headlined, uh, the Agonist direct support. We had... Uh, it was amazing. It was it was, a, it was a great Sabatini, Necrotic Mutation, Burning the Oppressor. It was a great night. Just so, so, so cool to see a bunch of metal heads um, enjoying metal and craft beer. I had like the best craft beer from Quebec brought into the venue. All of the beer that they typically sold that night was pulled out and they only sold the beers that I curated. It was it was an, a special, special night. We did round two. We did uh, Brutal Montreal, the second edition. When Deicide came through tour, when Deicide came through on tour with Cataclysm in September, when they arrived in Montreal, their tour transformed into Brutal Montreal. And it was it was awesome. We made like custom beers for Cataclysm because they were playing uh, Serenity and Fire, their album in full. We made a Legion beer for Deicide. Uh, it was it was really, really, really cool. And now, uh, yeah, now I have Winnipeg happening in the next two months in February. February 18th, there's a brutal Winnipeg. So I go places and I hang out with promoters and I'm like, we should do a brutal event. And they say yes, sometimes, or they say no, you know, and I move on to the next one. So that's happening as February 18th uh, in Winnipeg. It's a despised icon with Wake, with uh, Hopscotch, oh, I should know this, Battle Scars and Murder Capital. I might have fucked up that <laughs> one of those names. <laughs> you should you should have done that one in Toronto and then that way I could have gone to it. Oh, well, uh, no. Noel, if you're listening, Noel, I want to do a brutal. I haven't spoken to Noel yet. Hopscotch battle scars. No, I got it. Okay. We'll tag Noel in the uh, in the club. Yeah, Noel, I want to do a brutal event. I, 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 I think Toronto might still fall under heavy Montreal's radius. So that's wow. that's a logis- that's a logistic thing there. Fine then. Um, Aaliyah, can I change the subject to briefly? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, cool. So let's talk about your band for a few minutes here, because we haven't really talked about your band. Well, a little bit, but not too, too much. Um, I know you don't probably don't want to go into future plans or anything like that too specifically, but um, are you got, are you got, can you kind of go over how you guys kind of promote yourselves when you guys are doing an album cycle just briefly, since we are yeah, a yeah. podcast? Well, I think it'd be super, you'll, you'll be very interested to know. We, we were independent. I knew that. Uh, yep. Since, since 2012. So we were, I think right at the beginning of the whole band camp thing. And that first uh, independent release, which was our self-titled, uh, was a massive success. Like um, on Bandcamp standards, it, it did really well. So that was cool. We like hired publicists, and we we did as much press as we could. We tried to get the word out there via Facebook. Back then, it was different. Like the Facebook reach actually worked. Yeah. Um, there was a, an organic push from all the fans that were stoked that uh, Cryptopsy was back to their roots with John Navassar back in the band. Um, we did Tome 1, we did Tome 2 in the same way. Uh, now we are just signed to a label, which I cannot talk about. So this whole that. new process is going to be very different. So we signed in 2020 and we've been working on a full-length record, uh, which is just about finished. And... Um, it's coming along. It's 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 
Cryptopsy. So this whole new promotion for the next event, the next album, sorry, is going to be different because we will be falling under uh, promotion aspects provided by a label. And uh, we'll do as much press as we can, as usual, and I'll push it as much as I can on my side of things with the podcast. But, um, you know, you got to get out there and play, people. Yeah. So how do you think it's different than when the band, because you guys have been recently been independent. So how do you think it's different promoting yourself as an independent band rather than having a label backing, if that makes sense? It does make sense. And I guess a lot of this falls into the, I hope it's a little bit better category of my life. So, so being independent is extremely difficult. You need to fill a lot of hats that labels fill. So we are completely covered on the studio side of things. That's something that we don't have to worry about uh, because Chris Donaldson handles that from A to Z. Uh, He knows exactly what he's doing there. It's, it's not a thought of process that goes in there. A side of like publicity, none of us are publicists, none of us, I guess I'm a little bit more well-versed in it now than I was back then because of the podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, during those times, I, I would just, we would pray that we hired the right publicist and that this publicist is going to get us the interviews that we need. And I know, no, you know, and it's it's hard to to make an impact unless you're in the right circles sometimes is, is something that, that falls into that hope category again so so we're hoping that with a label we will be a part of uh let's say the cool kids club and we will um get roped up into that press a little bit bigger press that will want to talk about the new material the new album because we think uh it's some of our best work in a long time so we're we're and every, everyone says that but we mean it <laughs> Aaliyah wanted to say Can something. I interject to pull back. a little bit. Like, I want to go back really quick because you said, uh, get out and play people. Um, and I know there are a lot of indie bands that maybe don't think about touring or playing live as much. Do you think it's possible for bands to be successful without that? Or do you think that's still an integral part of getting your name out? I think that bands can do that. You have. I think that there's a lot less of them that will succeed versus if they go out and actually play. Because there, there are bands that have been successful by by not touring. I, I would be lying if I said that wasn't true. So there's definitely some, but I imagine there's less of them. Because you have to be extremely special. You have to like hit many, many, many notches on the, the perfect uh, situation belt to make that situation work. So, you know, you have to like be super cool on social media. Like so present, so hot, like super hype. I'm thinking like Will Ramos, hot on social media that's mm-hmm. like a you have to look cool you the music has to fit exactly what's going on um like as a precursor of what's working and it has to um yeah and, and they have to you have to create amazing content if, if you want that to work versus going out on tour and opening up for the perfect bands and it's not just any tour don't go and tour for any tour you have to put yourself on the right packages Mm-hmm. And that's difficult as well. But if you put yourself in front of the right crowd, you're going to walk away with fans every night. Hopefully. But um, if you put yourself on the right package, it's it's definitely going to have a huge impact. And there'll be more chances that the next time you come through, some of those people that discovered you will come back to see you again. And hopefully we'll buy a shirt because you're on tour. So you got to pay for gas and mm-hmm. all those rental fees that are just astronomical now after the pandemic. So I've been told. 
You'll probably so you find would advise out. bands getting on tour packages, like rather than, for example, booking their own tours and when they're kind of nobodies. I think it'd be really hard to do that. I I, I think um, it would be really hard to do that. It's it's, and you know, it's not impossible. I mean, the, yeah, the, I mean, I know a lot of hustle who do it, that goes yeah. through to do it, but I I don't see it bringing you as much value than getting on a cool tour package. But how do you get on a tour? cool tour package is a difficult question as well connections and being in the right place at the right time and um being good people and getting referrals and that all is the same thing that i'm just giving different synonyms for but networking <laughs> yeah you got to get out there you got to be a good person that's like everyone knows who's shitty in the industry and they don't go anywhere real fast 100 percent um I know we don't have a ton of time left, but I wanted to ask you a couple questions just back on the independent band thing, because a lot of our listeners are independent. Um, I got asked, I don't know if you know, but we also do PR and stuff. So one question I got asked the other day, actually, is marketing versus PR. I want to hear your take on it. Obviously, I'm going to say PR, my job, uh, but I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts on it. I don't care if you say it's marketing. I'm just honestly curious. Well, from, a new band, the- from a new band standards, so, uh, from a new band's viewpoint, sorry. Okay, well, if you have like a really cool publicist that actually understands your band and your band's brand and knows where to put you, that has a massive impact versus just pumping money into marketing. That's basically that what I said. Yeah. Might not fall onto the right audience's ears. Yeah. So, so or eyes. Yeah. Um, so, probably the best bet and what I would do if I had money and I was in a young band and what I might do with what's coming up here would be a balance of both but I would definitely want the publicist a meeting with a publicist so they understand what you need and what you want and who you are and what what your band means and, and that's that's like even before you you have to understand what is your band yes. what what does your band mean what what is the message that your band's trying to portray what is your brand in your yes. band I think that's important and then if you can convey that to a publicist uh, or a public relations person they will understand you better and they will put you on the right platforms. And hopefully then you'll have an impact that is higher than just pumping money into Facebook ads. It's like, yeah. And you also got to make sure you hire the right person. Cause if you get go with the death metal band going with so many specials in metal core, yeah, probably not going to work out very well, but, and we've all seen people do that. So, yeah. um, so, okay. So what type of marketing would you suggest that bands put money into? Like, let's say they got a PR, um, what would what would you suggest would be good good marketing for a newer band? I think uh, like something amazing would be would be to buy ad space on Vox and Hobbs episodes. I agree. No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> I like that. I like that <laughs> answer. That was good. That was good. That was good. But um, no, you could do you could do that as an example, but not with Vox and Hobbs. You, you could find a podcast that you love, and then you know that that audience that you listen to is right on brand with you, and you know that you could sell them exactly your band on that podcast that would be an interesting thing to do same thing with the you know um video podcasts and radio shows and everything else that's going on blogs that's going on but it has to be on brand don't just i've tried minimal amounts of money promoting vox and hops episodes early in the vox and hops career on facebook and it, it did nothing so so maybe i didn't do it right but I, I would not spend money there. I, I don't understand it. I'm not someone that knows the answers to this. But but choosing the right place to put your money into something that will put your product in front of 
the perfect audience, that is what I would do. And that is my su- suggestion to bands that want to do stuff like that. Cool. What do you think has been the most effective um, way to get Vox and Hops kind of known by people? What do you think has been your most effective either marketing thing that you've done or any action you've taken out of curiosity? Uh, Honestly, it's been consistency and word of mouth and booking the right guests. Like I, I, the early on, I would be like, Oh, I booked the biggest person. Oh my God. My podcast is going to be huge now. And then those episodes don't even do as well as other episodes, which is super weird. And then if they do do well, it's like, Oh my God, it's working. This is it. And then it just drops off and you, you keep 10 of those X amount of, listeners that you had let's say yeah so so no I and it's, it's consistency has been my best thing being there building the community having the thirsty thursday gangs that i i built throughout the pandemic where i hung out with people every thursday for months drinking beer laughing and talking about metal every thursday thirsty thursdays and i created a community just just i couldn't have paid marketing people to to do this for me it's awesome. something that just happened and they hang out every week, whether I'm there or not, to this day. And they they travel to hang out together. And they 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 it's two of them have started their own podcast, one from Quebec, Boston. one from Boston, Boston called Whispers from the Void. It's crazy. It's crazy what's happened because of Thirsty Thursday. So that was a, that Thirsty Thursday was a big thing that worked for Vox and Hops because I, I don't I they were followers, they were listeners, and now they're brand ambassadors. That's, that's awesome. something that that's something that happened. And it was just by me feeling that people needed to hang out because they were so isolated. Well, that's the thing is that's kind of like a key tool is if you get people to feel like they belong, then they're going to be your biggest ambassadors just always. Mm-hmm. And then I, like five of them write reviews for the podcast now. I have another one, Colby, that listens to every episode and tells me what ad is dynamically inserted because I don't do that. My network does that and I want to make sure it's happening. <laughs> Nice, but I but I don't have the time to listen to my own podcast, so I know he's going to listen to it anyway. So he just sends me like a, I was, I'm like that's the ad. You, that, thank you, Colby. So I, awesome. I don't think I've ever said that. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so okay. So Aliyah, do you have a couple more questions? I have a couple more, but if if you got something, go ahead. Um, kind of random, but what is the circular staircase behind you? Oh, it's just a when we when we bought the condo, it's all white, right? So we put up big wall murals in each room three different ones and it's it's just it's just the wallpaper it's just uh, it's just the wallpaper i got very confused for a second because i was like how the hell is that happening because when Olia said that i was like i thought it was wallpaper this whole time but yes <laughs> um who, who would have known that like this was the background to my zoom well i know when, when i set it up because we've been living here forever so so when i put it up I, I didn't we didn't realize that people would be seeing this for in everything i do online that is amazing um so okay so i got a couple final questions for you so is there anybody that you booked for an without interview without naming names obviously uh that you had booked for an interview that you wish you hadn't because they just didn't seem to fit the show there was one instance and thirsty thursday listeners will know exactly what i'm talking about uh the guest was extremely inebriated and i didn't release the episode and it was extremely awkward and he was saying weird things and i just it was at a hang and there was a bunch of people there and i cut it short and it was we started another hang without him (laughs) that must have been fun to explain later but (laughs) it was it was it was wacky it was uh yeah yeah 
I get it. Um, and who would you like to have on within the realm of possibility, obviously? Um, probably Mick Jagger's not going to show up, obviously, or someone like that. Um, but who who are a couple of guests that you would like to have that you haven't had yet? I have like white whales and I'm, I'm, I'm circle. I, I, and then there's like the question, do I want to get them? Right. But here are, here they are. So there's Maynard from tool. Nice. He can drink his wine. I'd be okay with that. Uh, there's Mike Patton from he, I, he won't do it. I've been told he won't do it, but I want to do it. And I ask for him every time I get an email from his publicist. Um, I'm circling him. I I've had bill from faith. No more on. I had um, Mr. Bungle's guitarist. I have Trey. I've had, um, I've had so many people like in, from Dead Cross, members of Dead Cross with him, and just I'll get him eventually. Someone will eventually put him together. I have Dwayne from Tomahawk. I, I've, I've interviewed basically all of his bands except him, so I think that's funny. Um, Chino from Deftones, uh, he's really into beer. I would love to do that, I think. Uh, and he's done podcasts before, so the possibilities there for that one. Corey Taylor would be cool. I know he's sober, but I do like my whole sober February thing. Uh, I would love to have him on. Th those would be like a handful. There's like the, the people like when I was a new metal child, uh, Jonathan Davis would be another one. New metal child, mm -hmm. and uh, the posters that I had on my walls. I've yet to have a guest that was on my wall, and that's like a bucket list that I want to have. I almost had Dez, uh, but it didn't pan out, and he would have been the first, the first uh, wall guest. Let's call him. So, so who are all the wall guests then? So Dez and, and Jonathan Davis, I assume. And then you oh, said there's Chino. so many. There's like System of a Down, Chino. Um, one that I think I'm going to get this year, and I, I, I just I've fallen in love with them again. Is Seven Dust? I want to talk to Lejean, the singer. I feel like that That'd is a possibility. Oh, yeah. I'll definitely listen to that episode. Yeah, because I love them. I, 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 yeah. Well, if you can get them, that'd be pretty fucking cool. That's for sure. Um, Ali, I think we have to wrap up because we've been going a long time here. I just realized. That's okay. This is a really fun conversation. So thanks again so much for coming on the podcast. Well, cheers to you guys. Cheers to you both. Thank you so, so much. Uh, hang out. Let's do it. Listen to some Vox and Hops episodes. You want to listen to metalheads talk about their life in metal while sharing craft beer. That's it. Absolutely. And everyone listening, until next time, make like a bull and throw those horns up. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by following or subscribing to us, recommending it to your friends, or leaving us a review on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Heavy Business, brought to you by C-Squared Music.